cast the fall tier witcher. I'm Dov. I'm Erin. I'm your co-host, Max. And today we are discussing uh, the short story A Question of Price from the short story series. So yes, our, our wandering through The Last Wish and its chronology as compared to the TV series, we've now got to A Question of Price, which is... Um, the of banquets and, ba- and burials is the episode yes yeah banquets bastards and burials Bast- i believe was yes. i think so yes yeah. um, yes and i think of course first there's the short chapter um the voice of reason and in this one it's Geralt effectively having a monologue or soliloquy or what have you um having a one-way conversation with yola and yes poor silent yola who has to listen to <laughs> He monologues. monologues he monologues <laughs> roaches in the shop so <laughs> yes well yes well this is effectively the monologue that he gives roach in the first episode of the show yeah so. <laughs> yeah just talking about being a witcher and the trial of the grasses and being a mutant and um, his yeah. first not especially great experiences um witchering yeah anyway i thought it was quite affecting because he starts it with just like saying like you know, I need this conversation. They say silence is golden. Maybe it is. Um, you know, it has a price, certainly, but you have to pay for it. And he starts, like, sort of talking about, like, his faithlessness and her belief and how that makes her a better, stronger person. And how, you know, when she sees a meteor, she sees a shooting star, a sign from her gods. And when he sees it, he just sees material for a sword. It's very, very sad, Geralt. Mm. But we do also get the badass monologue about, you know, his first monster killing which is, yes. know, had bald and very rotten teeth, which is, um, it's also in the trailer for The Witcher 3 game. It's effectively mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a basically, like, identical story happens. Yeah. Except, and Geralt, you know, and Geralt and Vesemir stop it. Yeah, but with an mm-hmm. even more badass line, which is, you know, they ask, what are you doing? You're a witcher. <laughs> like, killing <laughs> monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Geralt. That's our boy. Uh, uh, yes, except Book Geralt being a very sad boy is um, saying that he, yeah, so he, he saved a, a girl from, from a rapist and instead of um, getting the gratitude he so desperately wanted, she threw up and passed out. <laughs> like honestly, there's like even even more. There's even more depressing stuff that happens immediately after. Where he basically talks about like how um, he got into a habit of like coming to towns and villages, staying like in like around the outskirts, and if and, you know like just to see if people will try to chase him away, and you mm-hmm. know then he flees if they do. But, but like and like you know don't offer him work mm-hmm. mm. yeah he also explains that um when he's explaining this he also explains that he admits that um unlike what he referenced in in the first story when he talks about how he can't you know explain his methods or what he's done because of the witcher's code he admits there is no witcher's code it's just something he's made up for himself um <laughs> very catty way for Sapic to retcon things that he didn't think were yeah. <laughs> worth exploring. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was made up in character. <laughs> and um, he is also clearly still dwelling on what has happened in 
the um the in the rent free story um you know he's talking about you know people who follow a code are respected and held in high esteem so uh you know no one's ever compiled a witcher's code but i invented mine i keep to it always but not always i should have listened to the voice of reason that time i thought i was choosing the lesser evil i chose the lesser evil lesser evil i'm Geralt, witcher i'm the butcher of blaviken and just yeah he's clearly still dwelling on that um and we got a reference to yennefer Yes, and Bellatine. Yeah. And Bellatine, yes. A lot of good um, foreshadowing and story setting in these, which implies that maybe there actually was significantly more forethought put into a story than people like to pretend there was. Well, weren't these written for when the book was compiled after all of the short stories were written? Um, uh, yeah. I'm not Mostly. sure. Was it just sort of retconned continuity? Ironic, you know. Basically. basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. The stories were all sort of published in anthologies, I think, quite If separately. I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, then, like, um, Sword of Destiny was actually, like, published before the, before the Last Wish anthology. Like, all of the, all of the, all of the, the la- all of the stories of The Last Wish were published separately, then he published the whole of the Sword of Destiny, and then essentially the Last Wish anthology was published to compile the stories that had not gone into the Sword of Destiny. And that's when all of these interstitials were written to turn it into Pretty much, a coherent yes. story. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like that—that's my understanding for what happened, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I read too. And of course, we actually get some background about um, the Sack of Kermoran here as well. I, is this the first time the Sack of Kermoran gets mentioned? I'm pretty sure. Wait, I'm trying. I think to... so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he just he doesn't really explicitly say what happened. Just that um, no one lives there anymore, but Vesemir. That witchers can't be produced anymore. Yeah, it says um, it's ruined. He says it says it's a ruin. Yeah. But he doesn't really explicitly say that it got ruined because it got attacked. But yeah, the idea of Kermoran being ruined and that Vesemir being the only one left is floated here. Which is interesting because I think it conflicts a little bit with what appears then in the story. Because what's interesting, right, is that he wrote these interstitials to turn it into like a coherent story. But then didn't like actually do any revisions to the stories to make them coherent with the interstitials. Mm. Um, which I think is interesting. I get I I respect that on some level he 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 stood mm-hmm. by his work he didn't try and shoehorn anything. Yeah, and I think that like speaks to his like broader attitude that I admire greatly. Like um as we're recording this, so you'll be hearing it weeks later. Um we just got the news yesterday that Netflix is doing a six-part miniseries about you know twelve hundred years of the spheres, before. Basically, yeah, yeah, about the conjunction <laughs> of the spheres, basically, and uh. Sapex's comment on that was just basically, you know, he was asked, like, what do you think about, you know, them making these series about, you know, stuff that you never wrote about? And he's just like, oh, no, the, the world is the world is growing. That's great. It's great that, you know, something I didn't even conceive of is being added to the world. I mean, Sapex famously <laughs> loves world building. So, like, he's probably just happy that someone's <laughs> doing it for him. <laughs> I just love the way he's, like, not proprietary about his work at all it's just like yeah this adaptation's fine that adaptation's fine yeah he doesn't give a shit like (laughs) it's great like (laughs) yeah like the only the only like um 
annoyance that he famously had was over like the games and I think that was like um I I think that was because th that's like work that is actually centered ar around Geralt and I think he actually is like a bit protective of Geralt as a character like mm -hmm. um because I think like um like if you read some of the interviews with him about what he thinks of the games you you can hear that he's quite protective of him. He's like he like says things like he's for instance he's asked like you know if um if if the games play any consideration in what he considers like you know canon or like if, if would they play any consideration in any writing he would do about Geralt in the future. He just basically bluntly answered no. There is only one creator of Geralt of Rivia and his name is Andrzej Sapkowski. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> So couldn't care less about the world building. You know what it is? I think he just really ships Geralt and Yennefer, and the games fucked that up until the third one. I think that's quite believable. <laughs> like, <laughs> but also, at least also, the second I think one he's... made reference to it. But the complete omission of the first one of both Yen and Siri is just. And that was that was partly because the developers of the game, like the first game, like actually just didn't like Siri and Yen as characters, which, by the way, even though they're the core of the series, CDPR. <laughs> You are still weirdos for that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like, um, but, but you know, I guess you know whatever. Uh, but, but like, but but is it is possible? It is very possible actually that like that's part of what pissed him off. That like he mm -hmm. can't really imagine Geralt as a full-fledged character like without Ciri and Yen playing substantial roles in his life. Yeah, so he seems pretty chill about the show, but the show is like going out of its way to be really centered around Siri and Yen. So yeah, but also the show is like basically, for lack of a better, I mean, like it divulges a little bit from the from the story of the books, but like in ways that are basically you know do not change the point, if you will. Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, famously love the show and think it's a brilliant adaptation. Oh, so I mean, I think we all here do. So <laughs> Yes, we are a, sh yeah, we're, we're, yes, we've been so far a very show positive podcast. So, <laughs> um, right. So, um, that's sort of the, the, the interstitial voice of reason sort of ends with, with Geralt talking to Yala about this sort of foolish decision he made in Sintra. And then we, move into the start of the actual chapter, A Question of Price. And I love how this chapter starts. Yeah. Like, I love it. Just, it just the witcher had a, a knife of... to, at his throat. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of throws out a lot of conventions you'd expect it to be some dramatic thing. And it was just, and actually, just the Garrett barber in a bath. actually given a bath and shaved. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there's, yeah. there's, 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 a re there's a sort of reference to this in... The Witcher Free as well, um, where just before Geralt is about to meet Emir of Aramris in, in the beginning of the game, he is also oh, being right. clean-shaven, washed, and clothed by servants. Yeah, that's right. That's like the one bit of that game I've seen, because you were playing it when I was over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it makes another joke about, about, about a knife at his throat, so yeah. Huh. And um, when they're yes. talking about, oh, do you want to shave him against the grain? Emir says, oh, I think he's quite enough against the grain already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not Emir, it's, it's um, Morvran. Oh, yeah, of course, Morvran, yeah. 
<laughs> God, how do I remember that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that game is just very memorable. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's um he's getting preened and dolled up. His weapons have been taken away from him. And he's being made to wear a purple tunic. <laughs> it's not a doublet, though. At least it's not a doublet. Um, yes. <laughs> Geralt hates doublets. And so he's being informed about what the ceremony is all about and hinted at that why he might need to be there. Yes. So basically, um, as we're probably all familiar with, he's attending the, the banquet uh, for Pavetta, Princess Pavetta of Sintra's betrothal. And we get a little background about Sintra, that Sintra isn't meant to have a queen, um, but that Calanthe doesn't want a husband, so she, need to make, she needs to make sure that Pavetta marries the right sort of the right sort of man and, and secures an alliance with Skellige. And Geralt sort of um, questions, well, what this has to do with having a witcher in disguise at the banquet. And the castellan informs him that there has been a monster frightening people in the castle that looks like an Archeon. Is that how we're pronouncing that? Uh, I'd say Archon. Urchin, okay. Um, and so how much are we just like, I don't typically want to start talking about stuff that happens later in the story when mm. they start, but they've already seen the episode, presumably. So so it's just, I wanted just to say that like, I think the story kind of gives us a lot more than the show does from the start, that it's clear that like Urchin slash Duty has been hanging around the castle for like a long time. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah like a ghost, yeah. just like yeah. spooking yeah. people. <laughs> he's basically the phantom of the opera except not in the opera yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like, oh, I, 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 guys I think we have to emphasize that Dooney is actually gonna be fucking creepy in this story like I don't think like we can get around that like yeah I know he's creepy as fuck in this story he's uh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, because Pavetta is 15. That's the other thing that gets mentioned here. Well, not even. It's her 15th birthday. Yeah. Yeah, I'm presuming the lunar calendar works on similar terms in this world. Um, she's still a child. Yeah. And Judy is known to have been at least a teenager when he bumped into yeah. her dad. Um, yeah. So, so Dooney's in ballpark like 30. So. Yike. Yike. Yeah, and then sort of Geralt's being a bit impertinent and uh, the Castellan just sort of advises him that Calanthe's not to be trifled with and he better obey instantly any command that she gives. Um, which he sort of blows off and they just go to the banquet. He does, he does say, I understand. So, you know, that's a yeah. remar- remarkably unconfrontative way of going about it for Geralt. Yeah, true. He's, he's clearly wanting to, like, let Haxo just get on with his job. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's kind of just like, I've got it, let's go, the bath's given me an appetite. <laughs> just like, okay, Geralt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's at the banquet in disguise as the Lord of Fourhorn and gets seated sort of to the right of Kalanthi. He has a coat of arms. Table. Like... Yes, he does. He even has a coat of arms. <laughs> it's the yellow and black one. Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's like, there's like a description given in detail like um yeah a bear passant sable damsel vested as you're riding him her hair loose and arms raised there you go that's that's for the heraldry nerds out there yes <laughs> so it's cool i am um, obviously i played the games before i read this so uh in in one of the dlc 
this name is referred to. And obviously at the time I was like, what? What, what on earth is that? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it's referring to this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's just a really cool little niche detail that you could tell by the time they got to the end of the development of Witcher 3. They were throwing in these little things now and again because the, the writers at that point had maybe become a bit more um, attuned to the source material, shall we say, three games <laughs> and a, two DLC into it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, like reading that for the first time was actually really nice. Like, oh, that's where it comes from. Um, there is some um, tribute to the source material acknowledged here. Um, but yeah, so he comes in and he's introduced to Travis Fourhorn. Of course, this is where the differences start to become more obvious between this and the show because he isn't immediately outed as Geralt. He kind of actually plays along for a bit and gets, yeah just starts sat down at the table starts chatting with Galanth. Mm-hmm. It's actually something I was just um, mentioning before we started recording that I think is really interesting and I think possibly informs some of the show's aesthetic choices that people disagreed with. So there is obviously a little freak out online when everyone realized that Geralt was just going to have like normal eyes in mm. the show. And um, I've noticed, you know, with this story... Previous no previous story has mentioned anything weird about his eyes unless he's using an elixir, and this story he's clearly in disguise as a normal lord and no one bats an eye. So, as far as this book goes, I did a little search through the ebook and there's no mentions of his eyes looking weird at all in any of the stories in The Last Wish. So that's just made me think about like the aesthetic choice the show oh. made to not go with the cat eyes because at first I sort of assumed it was just because like oh like it looks weird like cause they did it in um. They did it in Good Omens with uh, Crawley, um, and it looked weird. And it's also like, you know, resource intensive to do it. And um, so I thought that's why they they done it. But I don't actually know at what point in the books the cat eyes become canon. Like, yeah, I don't think we've encountered it yet. And like, and yeah. and um, I I have increasingly started wondering if this is like thing outside of when he takes some potions. Yeah, that is interesting because maybe that could be the books interpreting a description of him having cat eyes more literally than it was actually meant in the books. Yeah, so it's this game canon that's infected all of our consciousness. (laughs) It's the Mandela effect (laughs) of his cat eyes. So I'm going to keep an eye on this as we go through the books, um, but I'm pretty sure it never comes up in The Last Wish because I just searched through the the ebook. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, so we'll, we'll keep see. an eye on that. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so with uh, Geralt in disguise, um, the sort of suitors start arriving and the, the banquet. And the suitors start General arriving. General merriment, yes. Otherwise... yes. <laughs> Kudkudak <laughs> is amusing the guests with his repertoire of animal impressions and the young Skelligers are devising military um, strategy um, I believe yeah, and we using got a, a lot of flirting between sauce <laughs> yeah and we get a lot of flirting between Calanthe and East when he arrives yeah like this is something I noted that like it's it it <laughs> she's a lot more flirty with him than like than like TV series Calanthe is Oh, yeah, like, when he comes in, she's like, oh, it's a great honour, said Calanthe, a little flushed. <laughs> like, <laughs> She literally, like, has him sit by her side, like, same as Geralt, like, yeah, you know, which, 
considering like that she's hiding a substantial amount from East, like about you know what's going to happen in this ball is not even especially strategically wise, but she does it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, they're they're very flirty. He's saying, you know, um, you know, I know how beautiful Pavetta will be when when she comes of age, but I can look at you, my queen, and like. <laughs> Uh, um yeah <laughs> um yeah sorry i kind of ship them a lot so <laughs> yeah they're legit <laughs> and of course he's brought mouse sack with him um who the gallant druid mouse sack <laughs> yes who this is interesting because i know there's some sort of like extra canon material that suggests mouse sack should know Geralt, but that doesn't seem to to be a thing yet this early yeah i mean it it certainly doesn't seem to be established in this sh- story, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, mind you, uh, but I do I do like sort of see things that could be reinterpreted in through the extra canon material as evidence of Bowsack mm-hmm. doing Geralt because, like, for instance, like later, later remember like that Bowsack starts doing that weird thing with the crumbs on the table, where. Yeah. He basically starts typing out words out of crumbs on the table in front of Geralt using magic. Um, mm-hmm. like... He does it a few times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he also seems to be intentionally using magic to try to, like, get Geralt's medallion to react so he can get his attention. Yeah, like, the, the, this is kind of the behavior of people that, like, you know, could know each other. Like... Yeah, that's true. Well, he knows Geralt speaking. won't be freaked out by magic. <laughs> and... Yeah. <laughs> And he knows how his medallion works, so he at least knows which are, I guess, lower, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and I suppose there's no reason for him to know Geralt's a witcher unless he knows Geralt, because he's in disguise and his medallion's hidden. Yeah. I mean, Um, if you believe some of the extra canon material, then um, Mouse Sack knows Geralt's mum, so... Can druids do, like, mind reading, like sorcerers and sorceresses can? I don't see why not. It's Mm. the same kind of magic. Oh, of course, yeah, she does, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. And that would make sense, so then he could know Geralt was a witcher without even having it been clearly communicated. That's true. Yeah. Man, mind reading in this <laughs> in this in this fucking universe is like semi OP because like there is <laughs> there it's like really difficult to resist it, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, you have to kind of know how to resist it to resist it, and if you don't, then... Yeah. Yeah. Well, then all your secrets are not secrets, sorry, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, Oh, yeah. gosh. I'm just getting, I'm just, I'm just getting, like, second-hand anxiety off of the thought of, like, all the state secrets that could be lost really easily <laughs> by just a wizard <laughs> happening to be in the wrong place. <sighs> Oh god, like I think you'd really want all of your advisors to have like some like anti magic but have medallions or something, yeah. Or something, like... yeah. Oh jeez. <laughs> right. So um the guests all arrive and get seated. Um and Clancy's clearly nervous about something, saying, you know, she's barely eating and just reluctantly picking at her food. And then as things start picking up and getting noisier, she starts trying to sort of have a, a quiet conversation with Geralt. So Basically, she's telling Geralt she has a job for him, which he bristles at. He assumes that she's going to get, try to get him to intervene in some sort of dynastic plot. 
and says that, uh, you know, I've never killed people for money, regardless of whether it's for a good or bad cause, and I never will, which is he also makes, a little bit of his He makes a lot of monologue assumptions about what Calanfe wants him to do. It's actually quite rude. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, yeah, I'm not surprised Calanfe gets annoyed. She's a queen, and he is just being sassy. She, she She's, in fact, extremely unreasonably patient with this arsehole witcher. <laughs> like, <laughs> who thinks I mean, he she's... knows better than everyone. <laughs> like... <laughs> she does come out with like an excellent line though you know like what sort of task do you expect as a witcher digging a well repairing a hole in the roof <laughs> weaving a tapestry of all the positions king vredank and the beautiful cero tried on their wedding night surely you know what your profession is about <laughs> uh... <laughs> she gives as good as she got yeah oh yeah calanthe is great <laughs> yeah pavetta comes in eventually as well with her two braids which are specifically described for whatever reason, and um, not soon after is followed by the the noble urchin of Erlenwald. Um, yes. My notes described as the gathering here, the clanging of armoured footsteps approach, and finally a spiked helmet knight to introduce himself as Urchin of Erlenwald appears. Um, and of course, this is again this happens in the show, slightly different how he eventually becomes unveiled. And the context mm-hmm. in which he is revealed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is where things start to really properly diverge. But the thing is that's interesting, they don't diverge in a really materially significant way. As you say, the general themes are pretty consistent. It's just yeah. for dramatic effect, some things are slightly changed. Because, you know, yeah. we need a dandelion in this scene in the TV series for obvious reasons. <laughs> like, the main, the main substantial setting change, I would say, is only that, like, in the TV series, people know who Geralt is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did want to call attention to something that happens before Urchin arrives. So just after Pavetta arrives, um, you know, Geralt and Calanthe are still um, negotiating whether Geralt's actually going to do anything or not. And, you know, he keeps saying that he can't be bought. And she says everyone can be bought. It's just a question of price. And then when Calanthe basically tells him that what she needs to happen is for Pavetta to marry the right man and the alliance with Skellige to proceed as planned. Um, she says that's when she admits that what she needs him to do is to fight destiny. Um, and I think this bit is interesting actually because it um, the offer that seems to turn his head is this idea that what he is involved in is to fight destiny, which he says, you know, a witcher fighting destiny, what irony. And she says, yes, Geralt, what irony. So she doesn't know why it would be ironic for a witcher to fight destiny, which is very different from show Geralt, who doesn't seem to believe in destiny. Mm. Um, and he says, you know, never mind. Uh, never mind, your majesty. And then she says, um, you know, if this task order is only impossible, then your price won't be low. Um, you ensure me my outcome and I will give you what you ask. And he says, what did you say? And she says, I will give you whatever you ask for. And as I don't like to repeat myself, I wonder, blah, 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 blah. And she says, then answer then yes or no. And he says, yes. So it's basically only when he's being offered the law of surprise. Yeah, I, I think I think th- it's that he because, says yes. I think it's because like Sapkowski wrote this short story, like when he was still trying to like figure out like basically like this, this short story was I'm pretty <coughs> sure meant to be like essentially an introduction into how witchers are recruited. Yes, absolutely. Like, um, because like, for instance, yeah, the thing about Destiny as well is that like we we know from later short stories 
that Geralt also expresses essentially a complete disbelief in the idea of destiny. Or even getting that in the interstitial where he keeps saying like, yes, yes, I know you keep saying that my fate is swirling around me, but I don't want you to have, you know, to do a trance. I don't want to know. Um, I'm never going back to Sintra. So yeah. 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 Like, he, so all, like of the, even... all of those, all of that stuff, right? Like, um, yeah. Like we just got a taste of that in the voice of reason just before this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, mm. So there is, there, there is like clearly in like other material, like which was written later than this, because this was one of the first short stories. I'm pretty sure, like, like I'm mm -hmm. fairly sure it might have even maybe been the second one that he wrote after, after The Witcher. Um, mm -hmm. I don't quote me on that, but I think that, that it was something like ridiculously close like that. Um, mm -hmm. Like, um, but the thing clearly is that like you know this this short story, Sapkowski still kind of trying to establish like more generally like how witchers are essentially made and here we see like a version of it where like the law of surprise was much more central like mm -hmm. for lack of a better word yeah exactly and that's just why i wanted to call attention to this bit because it seems to be like because he's trying to sort of tell us about the law of surprise and tell us how witchers are made um it, it's important i think that the only thing that tempts him into like finally stopping back chatting the queen is that he's being offered the law of surprise. Mm. But she doesn't seem to realize that that's what she's offering him. Yes. <laughs> crafty himbo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, far more crafty than himbo-ish in this story. <laughs> um, it, is, it is another really good bit of dialogue I think between the two of them there's just so many little good little one-liners that are dotted around it um, mm -hmm. um <laughs> unclear tasks can't be clearly executed um, oh yes <laughs> stuff like that it's... <laughs> yes because yeah it's con Calanthe is consistently implying that there might be something afoot Geralt's trying to pawn her off and it's like I'm not you know, I'm not a sword for hire to carry out political intrigues. It's like, I've not told you, you know, being bought is different from being paid for a service um, and trying to mm -hmm. sort of muddy the waters. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way she sort of tries to cleverly work around his sort of prickly sense of honour. Clever characters having good dialogue. That's basically <laughs> the backbone of um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the story. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Urchin arrives um and um so urchin arrives and he's wearing his helmet over his face and and mostax starts doing something with magic it's not clear what it just says he's muttering and there's like sort of a tingle of magic in the air and it's you know causing Geralt's medallion to move mm -hmm. um and so <laughs> urchin explains that he cannot take off his his helmet because he has a nightly vow preventing him from revealing his face so kind of the same as the show um, and then he explains that, um, he rescued King Rogner, which was, um, Calanthe's husband when he was injured at the bottom of a ravine, which incidentally, is this not like the saddest way a king could end up like almost dying? Yeah. <laughs> not lost and ends up injured in a ravine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and rescued by a teenager. <laughs> but Alexander the third, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I think this really plays into like, is I think this is great because I mean, we learn later 
a lot more about Calanthe and Rogner's relationship. And I think the show does a good job of Calanthe just like calling him an absolute idiot. And (laughs) (laughs) and this sort of feels like the the origin of that. Um, So yes, he he found Rogner injured at the bottom of a ravine and, you know, uh, saves him and in return is promised the law of surprise. And Calanthe asks, acts like this is like an outrage that it's selfish to request any recompense for having saved someone's life um, because she's trying to basically avoid the reality of the situation. And it's, it's interesting that the show went a lot more in on the motherhood aspect of Calanthe's monologue when she sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it, well, I suppose this comes in, this is a bit later on in the story, but you know, Calanthe in the books is all there, you have no right to my daughter etc etc you'd have you know nothing of you know bearing a child and giving birth to a child you know you don't have any right to her whereas in this it seems it's more driven by her reluctance to give up her daughter because of her husband's idiocy i think maybe yeah yeah yeah. like she doesn't yeah but like also like she doesn't seem to like especially hold like the law of surprises whole and especially high regard here either just because mm. like you know i mean to be fair i think like all of it like does kind of like come down to basically the basic human reluctance to give up your child to a stranger because of some weird fucking ancient law <laughs> <laughs> like you know she, she frames it as saying like you know you found a defenseless man at the mercy of vipers and monsters and only when you were promised a reward did you offer to help him you know she's saying you're yeah. an asshole why should i give you my daughter here um, I do think that she's yeah. basically also trying to kind of turn like the whole against him because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and that's what he says too he says you're trying to stir up the crowd against me I do think that like, that's basically like husband. like essentially political propaganda but like um, uh, mm-hmm. but 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 I mean she does seem quite genuinely not not keen on the on, on you know just like giving Pavetta to this random stranger. <laughs> yeah. What I will say is I think, so the show benefits from obviously the entire canon being written before the show was made. And um, even as far as the show is gone now, so I don't think this is spoilers to say, like reproduction and maternity are like really important themes in the series as a whole. So they had the benefit of knowing that that was going to be an important theme and then being able to hammer it home in this story. Um. But also, I think something that um, Calanthe says later in the story, um, where she snaps that basically Pavetta has the choice between being property in a conquest or, or being free, is possibly emblematic of what her real problem is here. Because the, the story makes clear that Calanthe sort of doesn't want another husband, though that changes, prides herself on being queen when they're is never meant to be a queen in Centra. So the idea that Pavetta is going to be condemned by fate to a specific marriage just seems offensive to her sense of independence, even if she was just about to marry Pavetta to someone for an alliance. Yeah, it's because <laughs> like, she has no say she, in it, really. She does admittedly <laughs> seem, uh, not, not really interrogate herself over there. Um, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because because yeah, she clearly like does does seem to find like the idea of fate condemning P- Pavetta to something uniquely offensive, mm-hmm. but like also doesn't see much a problem with like giving her away to 
Kraken Crate. So, you know... Eh. To be fair, I think she sees Kraken Crate as... The way the Skelligers are described, I think she sees them as being rough and tumble, but decent and not particularly politically a threat. So I think she sees them as being decent and controllable and not so much giving Pavetta away to Kraken Crate as co-opting Kraken Crate into her family. I, 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 I do kind of see what you're getting at, Aaron, but like... But she does at one point literally say it's almost a shame to give her away to that loud crack and crate. Like That's true. Um so I I mean I don't think like I think it's I think it's easier to just explain it as one of these things Calanthe understands as like because of like the culture she is raised in and like the way she the, the the way of thinking like royal women are raised in, one of these things she just understands as kind of a normal part of a royal you know, out of a royal's life, you will make a mm-hmm. marriage alliance with someone you don't really love. That's just kind of like, you know, what you do. Like, mm-hmm. um, whereas the other thing is actually seen as a, a violation of um, not just Pavetta, but also Calanthe, and in the sense of like, it's an attack on her, on her entire house and its political ambitions mm. and everything by fate. It's attack on her right as the queen to make marriage alliances as well. Basically, right? Yeah, like it's it's that as well. It's it's how dare fate interfere in my political life. Mm. Mhm. Like um and then we do get a primer on the law of surprise here. So everyone starts arguing over whether this is acceptable or not or whether Calanthe is trying to turn the hall against them and whether the law of surprise is is legitimate or not. You have a Visigard yelling that's unheard of and then you have Kukadak standing up and saying, um, actually, um, big bad things happen if you the law of try surprise. to defy the law of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you know, um, the law of surprise is, is not unprecedented. It's as old as humanity itself, actually. And I mean, he's not wrong, even in our, our own culture. Cause you've got, there's, there's, there's a biblical story and like the old Testament, there's the, the Greek thing with Iphigenia. Like it's it's as old as our mythologies as well in our sort of real world. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. So we get sort of this. Yeah. We get a reference to Rumpelstiltskin as well, just because we love fairy tales in, in these stories. Um, and <laughs> then Kukadak also makes the point that you know, regardless even of um all of this history and all of these stories and all of this lore about the law of surprise, like the entire feudal system is completely dependent on the word of kings and lords being legitimate and if you break Rogner's oath then what does that say about your entire rulership yeah which is it's a pretty fair point really <laughs> yeah if the word of kings isn't worth anything then why bother having them um, it, it yeah. does basically you know break the social contract I'm not gonna lie like could could yeah. basically basically quietly warns Kalanfi that a revolution could happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, after all of this, uh, Geralt stands up, and um, you know Kalanthi and everyone, er- Erlenwald and everyone, sort of Urchion, er- 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 all assume that he's standing up to you know challenge him and you know do his job basically, um, but instead. He says that Urchin needs to prove that the um, promise was real. But the way to prove that the promise is real is that it has to be Pavetta's choice. So 
what he says basically is that Urchin wants the child, not the throne. And then Geralt says, everyone heard Baron Tig tell us that the famous, about the famous heroes taken from their parents on the strength of the same oath that Urchin received from King Rogner. But why should anyone want such an oath? You know the answer, Urchin of Erlenwald. It creates a powerful, indissoluble tie of destiny between the person demanding the oath and its object, the child's surprise. Such a child, marked by blind fate, can be destined for extraordinary things. Um, yada yada. You don't want the throne, you want the princess. And then basically says that Pavetta has to choose to go with Urchin for it to actually which, by the be way, valid. Which raises... Can, a... can I just ask you guys, like, just... at, at what point yeah. was this rule introduced? Like, because <laughs> yeah. Geralt seems to have just made it up on the spot. Like... Well, I don't know if he's made it up on the spot or if this is a mind-bending place where predetermination and like destiny and 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 sort of this deterministic universe they may be in meets free will, but that free will is so bent by them being enmeshed in destiny that it's not so much that it's her free choice, but that her choosing proves that she's marked by destiny because she has no choice because destiny will force her to say yes. Well, I mean, without spoiling okay, yes, kinda, the way the stories end, yeah. it's kind of a consistent theme throughout the whole thing, isn't it? <laughs> how much is destiny? How much is people being told what they want to do? And I mean, it's the same thing with Pavetta and Dooney, right? Like, she wants to go with Dooney because she's in love with him, but she's in love with him because he's been hanging around the castle, he's putting himself her. in a position to be in her path. Which is super creepy, and... guys. Let's it's just emphasize crazy. that. He has groomed her. She is a child. He has groomed her. Pavetta yeah. is a victim yeah. in this story. Yes. As, like, I cannot suspend the... I know with stories like this, we're supposed to pretend, like, child marriage is okay because it's set in no. fake Middle Ages, which, no. incidentally, it wasn't okay then either. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, like the, only, the only cases when it happened in the Middle Ages where essentially formal marriages where they literally just well they they were married but like nothing actually happened so yeah to emphasize this Dooney is not a good person we do not like him Dooney is a pedophile um yeah and this is yeah we're not yeah we'll leave it there (laughs) (laughs) yeah she can't consent to this exactly to be totally honest like like we have to kind of talk about how in this situation Pavetta is a 15-year-old child who is not exactly capable of making these decisions. Yeah, if we're assuming lunar time works in the same way and it's not like dog years or something. <laughs> they're <laughs> like, not at, it would not be a lot better if it we was. Don't know this, but but in, but, uh... We don't know this, but in the Witcherverse, like, when they say years, they actually mean, their year is actually like twice as long as ours. Like... <laughs> to be the only acceptable explanation, yeah. <laughs> I would feel so much better. Unfortunately, Mousak makes a crack about her being starting early. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Yikes. So it's a... Um, Yikes. Yeah. So, moving on from this extreme yike, um, we're back on to, to, to what witchers have to do with destiny, because people start questioning why Geralt's, you know, spouting off all of this lore about the law of surprise and how it works and how destiny works and making choices. Um, and Mousak then tells everyone, like, oh, he knows better than anybody this is because he's a witcher, um, and witchers are created by destiny. Um, 
because you know it applied to him once he was taken from his home because he was what his father didn't ex- hadn't expected to find on his return because he was destined for other things and by the power of destiny he became what he is and what is he a witcher so this is like where we get the the witchers are created by the law of surprise thing that damned law <laughs> which incidentally this actually kind of makes sense to me even though like i know a lot of it this gets completely reconned out later because like if you were with a sorceress you certainly wouldn't expect to come home and have a kid mm. yes yeah. sorceresses <clears throat> um but yeah <sighs> but yes and then um yes yeah, so um the the professor chooses to go with him um such as she can and then Calanth is very upset at this. Yes, even though he's just had his helmet removed and it's revealed how he looks. He's a hedgehog boy. Um, um, yes, so so the, the bad persona gets, gets stabbed in the ribs and they start fighting because everyone's unhappy with the situation. And Pavetta's uh, unhappy seeing, seeing Juni getting jumped and like in the tv show she starts screaming and doing the magic and the wailing and people get thrown around furniture thrown around and mouse sack and Geralt have to try and contain her before things get out of hand yes now what i love about this is the show plays this so dramatically and like this struggle of like Geralt and mouse sack like working together to to stop pavetta um in this story kukudak gets up on his knees grabs Dragon Du's bagpipes, does a bunch of weird animal impressions while squeezing the bagpipes and makes a terrible noise that distracts Pavetta. While we're talking about it, <laughs> while we're talking about this, this, this show, the, the, sorry, this story, this story is, I, I think we need to talk about its strong anti-Scottish nature. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. like it has it has some themes that I am not happy with. Um, Sapic seems to have some opinions <laughs> about pe- about bagpipes and the music played on bagpipes. Uh, Anjay, if you're listening to this, <laughs> it's not that bad. I swear to fucking god, I... it's not that bad. <laughs> well, unless you're I, going through ironically. <laughs> I unironically enjoy bagpipes. Same. Yes, unless you've got bad buskers, I unironically enjoy like, bagpipes. Like, it's difficult to play them well, but well-played bagpipes are really satisfying. They're nice at weddings. They're not nice when you're going to work in the Fringe Festival and you have to go down Prince's Street twice a day. Yeah, but day. nobody enjoys the Fringe Festival. That's why That's why everyone in Edinburgh is happy this year, Bags. Like... I know! <laughs> that... Just think of all the landlords losing all this money. It's, yeah. it's delightful. Uh, we discovered that um, so the, the situation's calmed down, Geralt's urchin's still alive Est and Pavetta are embracing each other and smooching and um, Pavetta's seemingly come to accept the situation with a lot less reluctance than the TV show suggests she's yeah, quite, is almost content with it um, yeah and so this is something that I <laughs> thought was interesting because like what Calanthe, what we kind of agreed earlier, right, is, and I agree with this, is that Calanthe was mad that fate was intervening in her ability to make an important marriage alliance and was, like, controlling Pavetta. But it seems like what Geralt said about Pavetta having to choose this seems to have calmed Calanthe down a little. Um, At least a little because, bit. I, 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 mean, yeah. I mean, setting aside her being 15, because we just have to, or else this is just 
horrible. Um, I'm okay with us just considering all of this horrible, to be fair, considering that, like, (laughs) there is at least one interpretation of Witcherverse history by which this leads to all-around bad things. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is true. Like, so, you know... (laughs) <laughs> like there is yeah. it is it is arguable that like actually not only is this terrible but there aren't even any you know circumstantial redeeming factors mm-hmm. because everything gets worse from here on on you know what's really horrible is mousesack slut shaming pavetta for being a groomed child yeah yikes mousesack he's like oh the kids these days they start early it's like okay and then this is where this we get sort of a bit of This would be funny if we were talking about two 15-year-olds yeah. and not a 15-year-old and a 30-year-old. Yeah, exactly. And this is also where we get a bit of lore that gets retconned later about, like, virgins not being able to use magic, which is why Mousesack's immediately like, oh, well, they start early because she's, like, using yeah, yeah. It's magic. Yeah, he was... This is where Urchin insists that he has a debt to pay Geralt. And where all the shenanigans starts and everything goes to shit. Yes. Yeah. So basically, Calanthe, it was funny because Calanthe, it seems like Geralt had picked up on Calanthe basically offering him the law of surprise towards the start of the story. But then when she says, you know, Geralt, name your price, ask anything. Um, and he's just says like, oh, I just, I want your sash as sort of a, a memento of your green eyes and, and of this night or whatever. And she sort of laughs and gives him her emerald, emerald necklace instead. Um, but then, yeah, this is where then Dooney sort of inserts himself into it and says, you know, like, you saved my life and this, my destiny wouldn't have been fulfilled and I wouldn't have been cured of my curse if you hadn't stopped me from getting stabbed. Yeah, Dooney says, I say I'm, I still say I'm in your debt, Witcher. It is my life that Rainfire's dagger endangered. I would have been beaten to death by the guards without you. If there's talk of a price, then I should be the one to pay. I assure you I can afford it. What do you ask, Geralt? And Geralt says, Dooney, a Witcher who has asked such a question has to ask to have it repeated. So, like... He's kind of trying to warn him that, like, you are offering me something you don't want to give. And Dooney looks like a moron in this scene because he seems to not understand what's going yeah. on. Like... Yeah, and he and like, even though we've just had explained how witchers are created, that the law of surprise is part of this, Geralt's kind of like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "I repeat, because you see, I'm in your debt for still another reason. When I found out who you were, blah blah blah, uh, I thought very badly of you. I've become convinced that the witcher's profession is worthy of respect. You protect us." Um, only not only from evil lurking in the darkness, but that which lies within ourselves. It's a shame you are so there are so few of you. So I've he's... become I've become convinced a witcher a uh, duty. I've become convinced the witcher's profession is worthy of respect. You protect us from the evil lies not just outside but within ourselves. Geralt, cool. Give me your child. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 Geralt is like is like being kind of like a living proof of why. Why normal humans don't really like witchers here? Well, the funny thing is, is Geralt is clearly warning Dooney here. Like, yeah, don't yeah, but, give but, me this but option. But he still does it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And the worst thing is, the worst thing is, is Dooney can't know that this is what's happening, but he also says shit that makes it sound like he is offering a witcher's profession is worthy of respect. It's a shame there's so few of you. <laughs> I swear to God. Um. And we do yeah. know, we and do so, know of because of later events that Dooney does not actually know what he's offering. No, he does like, not. He doesn't, um, but it's just funny because of the way yeah, it's worded. Like, um, 
And so Dooney says, you know, and I ask again, what do you ask for? Uh, and, you know, Geralt replies, um, in order to become a witcher, you have to be born in the shadow of destiny. And very few are born like that. That's why there Geralt, are so few of us. Geralt, for the love of God, you should have just asked for like 2,000 gold <laughs> and gone home. Like, <laughs> well, nope, you'll give me that which you already have and do not know. I'll return to Sintra in six years to see if Destiny's been caught. Yeah, opens his eyes. Surely you're not. And the princess lowered her eyes and blushed, then replied, and chapter. <laughs> Geralt! Yeah. <laughs> now, what I think is interesting here is this so we just got in that interstitial bit that Caramoran had been sacked. And that interstitial bit is only a few months after this because he's like, oh, the child should have been born just at Bellatane and Pavetta's already pregnant. So the interstitial is just a few months after this. But when this was written, the sack of Kerborn clearly hadn't been conceived yet because he's saying there's so few of us because of how rare it is for a child to be born under the shadow of destiny, not because we can't make any more. I just, yeah. <laughs> As ever, Geralt tried. Like, the thing, the thing that always is about this story is actually that um, because Sapkowski clearly tried to sort of retcon it later and make it less of a thing mm -hmm. of... Because, like, this is already well after the sack of Care Warren, as you say. Like... Yeah, it just well, it, it is chronologically, but I think when it was written, but, he had yeah, to that, that's what I mean, yet. right? Like, so later he clearly yeah. tries to retcon this with the help of the previous interstitial bit, that Geralt didn't really know what he was doing, and for some reason just, like, thought that this is the right for him, thing for him as a witcher to do. But mm -hmm. it makes no sense, because at this point, Geralt is on the path for, like, 50 years, mate. Like... Yeah. <laughs> like, there is... They're, 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 like, this is one of those things which... This is a great story. It's, it's a great short story. But... In the context of later retcons and how like the short stories were put together into a saga and in the context of what Geralt's personality ended up being, it makes very mm -hmm. little sense. Yeah, it's really hard going from the interstitial, which was clearly, you know, written after Geralt's a fully thought out character, yeah. um, to to this, which was written so long before that that it wasn't it was so so we get like traumatized sad boy Geralt in the interstitial and sure fuck it let's make more witchers Geralt in the story <laughs> yeah like and in the interstitial <laughs> he's beating himself up about it because like let's be real here that's why he doesn't want I mean it's almost the exact same thing as constantly in the in the tv series that he doesn't want the trance to happen because actually he doesn't probably doesn't really want Yola to look into a lot of the feelings that he has about this. Yeah, I mean, like, he yells, he basically yells at her in the interstitial, like, don't touch me, you might see. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's the ending line of this short story, the ending lines where he's like, oh, I'll see you in six years. Whereas in the TV series, he's, he's very, well, it's for it's fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the TV yeah, series... I think the TV show did a great job of. Yeah, it, it does a really good job of, like, retconning it. Yeah, like squaring that circle of like, yeah, he asked for this, but like, they show, yeah, the TV series makes it very clear that he's all like, yeah, okay, whatever, give me, give me what you have, and you don't, the, and you he, don't know, haha. <laughs> like, like in the TV series, yeah. like this is this is this the circle is squared by making it a mistake. It's by the way still kind of embarrassing mm -hmm. because like, come on, Geralt, 
chances were that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know you know what i mean I like think you can <laughs> like you can put it down in the tv series to him being tired and angry and annoyed <laughs> and be you know going to just default mode as a witch or just like ah whatever, oh, it, whatever. give me whatever you fucking find yeah. what's the worst that can happen <laughs> whatever you have that you yeah. don't know like <laughs> And maybe having a little too much faith in them not to have been shagging before they got together <laughs> properly. Geralt. <laughs> uh, uh, it's just like... Hembo strikes once more. <laughs> or for Pavetta to at least have consulted a sorceress. Jesus. It's not like there's some birth control in this universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> birth control that can be assembled from pretty readily available herbs. Yeah. Oh shit, there's no sorceresses in Sintra, though. Of course they'll the TV it. series. Oh, right. is that only a TV series thing? Yeah. Oh. It's not a thing in the books. Okay. Well, I mean, in the TV series is the one where it's more... Like, however, however, anyway. it is interesting that there is no court sorceress here in the Royal Hall. Or, or sorcerer. I actually think... Yeah... And then when she hires one, it's only because Pavetta is a clear danger and she hires a druid. Yeah. Like, so I think it is interesting. Like, 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 um, because at the very least, that's like anomalous for a Northern Kingdom. So like that, that sort of, mm-hmm. that, that thing from the TV series about how there's no sorcerers in Sintra, like, it's not technically canon, but it's believable enough that it could be. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not technically canon, but it comes, it doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah. And also, I mean, so what we've just seen is Pavetta has been revealed to be a source, which is a specific kind of magic user who has like a raw primal power that they don't really have much control over. Mm -hmm. And there's later book canon stuff about what sorcerers used to do to sources. Um, So, I mean, if there's like a line of, you know, like Pavetta's grandmother was a source as well. There's there's like there's definitely enough to construct a reason for Sintra not to have sorcerers around. Yeah. And if it's not explicitly canon, there's enough to construct yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. It doesn't fundamentally really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things, I don't think, really. If they're mm-hmm. if we're talking about destiny and everything, I don't think they're going to abort a child that's a child of destiny. Uh, no, no, no. No, but I mean there's birth control if she was mm. shagging around before she got married. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Um, so I think that is that. Um, unless there's anything else about okay. the stories we wanted to interrogate. I think it's the fundamentals of it are, don't differ from the show at all, really. The main messages get across, the main important things. The comic relief isn't there from if Dandelion, anything, of course, but if anything I'd it, say like you know, like the differences that do exist with the show are basically because the show had to square that circle of this is quite an an old story in terms of when it was written and as we said has some logical inconsistencies with the rest of the series so <clears throat> so like the i i think i think mm-hmm. the show did a really good job of like reconciling that yeah yes i think so too um i think they really did the best they they could have with um trying to make it more in character by making it sort of a, a himboy mistake rather than sort of something they had to retcon. And, and they took out the uh, the grooming element of it as well. They at the very least... Yes, they at the very least... Pavetta yeah, 
yeah, made her noticeably mm-hmm. older, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank goodness. Thank yes. goodness, right? Yes. Like, <sighs> I'm just gonna see how old the actress who plays her is. She is a very um, ethereal-looking woman. The lass who plays Pavetta. She's very sort of. Um, she really she's is. She's a very striking-looking um, woman, but she's very like otherworldly. Kind of, like, if you saw her in the street, you would mm-hmm. kind of be. Which is kind of like what Pavetta sounds like when you read about her. Like she sounds like you know, kind of like not all there if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah so she's 19 so she probably would have been like 17 when this was filmed so she's like considerably older than yeah i mean worth noting that one fundamentally creepy aspect which is to say the age difference itself doesn't disappear because duny will still have encountered Rigner like when pavetta was being born mm. like yeah so he does have to at least be a teenager when she was conceived. Admittedly, like, he could have been quite a small child and still saved him. Which would have made it all the funnier. Right, because it was just like, yeah, finds him in a ravine, right? It's not like he, like, fought someone Yeah, I mean, and... like, he, he, he is literally cursed and has otherworldly strength. Like, so, like, mm-hmm. I'm presuming he already had cursed-based otherworldly strength when he was five. True. That's, yeah, so it could have that's... just been as him being a child and alerting someone else to save him, and then him claiming it as a child. But that's I think affording a lot of credit. No, no, I'm 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 figuring the... that like he he saved him himself. It's just that like he was you know like he is he is a cursed creature as a child, like you know, and it's stated that he saved Roigner in his urchin form, not his human. Ah, uh, yeah. Well. I regret to inform you that the actor who plays Dooney is 31. So. Well, yeah. Ah, so he was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they oh, did well. cast that age difference, so. Look, oh, this well. is just very problematic. <laughs> this this one has been very problematic. <laughs> and that's just... Yeah. That's just that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really much the show could do about it. That's what was in the material. It's fantasy. So. It's an endemic issue with fantasy for some reason. It's an yeah, endemic I mean, issue with fantasy written forget, by white old men. Yeah, lest we forget, uh, Daenerys was even younger than Pavetta. Yeah, yike. I never read the book, so... Yeah. Oh, in the books, she finds out she's pregnant on her 14th birthday. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Real problem. I th- <sighs> Very yike. And on that note... <laughs> on that note... <laughs> um, on that note, um, we, I guess, next week, we have the very exciting um, introduction of Dandelion to the series. Oh, yes! Nice! Here we go! <laughs> yes. Yeah, so next week we have uh, The Edge of the World, which is the um, story that is most of episode two of the show. Um and we get Dandelion. And just for those of you who just watched the show, Dandelion is Yaskier. It's just for some reason they decided to make him Dandelion in English. Exciting. Our, our boy, our beautiful boy. Yes, I love him very much. I'm very excited to uh, to get that story and get him introduced to the series. So, yeah. Until next time. Yeah. Yes. Until next time. So, uh, yeah, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And join us again next week when we discuss uh, the fifth short story in The Last Wish, uh, The Edge of the World. Um, 
Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Milislav Kolar, which you can find at freemusicarchive.org. And you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher Cast or email us at castapodtourwitcher at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye.